Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Well, Matt, good afternoon in the studio, unusually yeah. in an afternoon this time. So uh, hopefully both of us will do our best not to have a nana nap in the middle of this. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's, we, we've got to keep the listeners away. That's, you, so that's what come it on. is. Yeah. Let's, let's get with the program. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, Matt, today we are, and listeners, we're going to be working through uh, three books of the Bible. Actually, we've, we're coming into Second Timothy, which we'll come to in a moment. We're then going to move into Titus and finish this uh, podcast with uh, the book of Philemon. Mm. Yeah, really, I think probably the bigger focus is going to be on two Timothy. Yeah, uh, this is probably known to be the last letter Paul wrote, mm. very personal letter to Timothy, who he was really uh, putting a lot of weight into carrying on the great work that Paul yep. had begun. Uh, Paul was, it seems, aware that his execution was imminent, um, yep. and he's really trying to make sure that he hands the baton mm. very strongly to Timothy, and that Timothy really takes that yep. and takes ownership of the calling that's then is on his life. So it's a very... Uh, personal letter. If you read it in the context of a man in prison, knowing that his life's work really, in terms yeah. of, yeah. is for him is about to come to an end, and he's trying to make sure that Timothy really takes that mantle on. I think you, you can read a lot more into the uh, the emotional weight of this actual book or this letter to to Timothy. Yeah, it's. I've always found this book really moving, and and as I've read through this uh, a few times, actually, again just really uh, absorbing this. And I took some time this morning just to, I mean, I'd read through it before and I read some commentary on it and yeah. and it was great, you know, just sitting down this morning and just reading this and allowing myself to soak this up. I've always, I've always found Paul's letters, and I've said this before, just they, it's like they're speaking to me so personally. Mm. And this one particularly, you know, cause it is so, it is so personal and it's to a leader. It's the apostle Paul, at the end of his life, there's an element of, and and I think this is one of the things that I appreciate uh, about this is that there's a realism to this letter. I mean, he's been abandoned by a yep. lot of people. He's yep. wondering, you know, this is a man of faith, but, or, or you wonder in his situation, you know, is he thinking, what is the future of this movement yeah. that I yeah. founded? Now, we know 2,000 years later that this goes all over the world and becomes this unstoppable force. And, mm. you know, uh, it becomes very powerful, which becomes the problem, in fact, in 300 years from this point. Mm. Uh, it, it becomes enormously yeah, powerful. Uh, yeah. politically powerful mm. movement, and that, that actually leads to its spiritual demise uh, somewhat, which is invariably the case throughout uh, history. history. Mm. Uh, you know, at this stage, though, it's quite a you know, it seems very tenuous. You know, yes. they've got these fairly young churches. Uh, there's all of this false teaching get ar getting around. There's all of this opposition. There's persecution. Man, you'd be wondering, is, is this going yeah. to go another yeah. generation? And it feels almost bad to say it, but but recognizing where Paul is, there's a sense of desperation in this letter. You know, almost yeah. he's he's writing saying, please, please don't yeah. not carry yeah. this movement on. That's you know? right. And And there's a strong multi-generational mm -hmm. desire expressed in this letter, you know, pass this on, you know, make yes. sure you are choosing who are going to be the next generation of leaders. And, you know, he's, he's thinking kingdom of God. He's really got this, he understands that he's planting a seed, mm. but to use Jesus illustration of the, this, you know, the parable of the seeds, uh, you know, he, on the different soil, you know, he knows that the weeds are going to come up and yeah. and they're going to try and choke the seed. And uh, you certainly see that reflected through this yeah, letter. Totally. And of course, Timothy's a younger man. And so there's, there's some things where Paul's trying to say, look, you know, don't get distracted by the things of youth. You know, we, yeah. you really need yeah. to now step up into this role yeah. of, of leadership and uh, and take the mantle forward. Yeah, and there's some wonderful uh, metaphors of ministry mm. uh, through you know throughout this. He he's in chapter one. He commends. Timothy reminds him that he's, I mean, he's, this is Tim, Timothy's part of a strong Christian uh, family, family with three generations of Christians. Now, that's obviously the Christianity is such an only started that very generation, but, you know, his mother and grandmother were Christians. And he, it seems that Timothy had, in his commissioning or at some point, had received some gift, and we're not exactly sure uh, what that is, but he's reminded to fan into flame this gift of God, yeah. which was given to him through the laying on of hands. 
This is a reminder that I think in ministry, we all have things that have been imparted to us that are beyond what we naturally bring. Yeah. It's, a, it's a key to ministry. You know, that there's that there are things that we need, keys to ministry that we need that can only come from that uh, sort of supernatural impart- impartation uh, in a sense. And Timothy certainly has has had that. And Paul's reminding him, even though it's been given to him, mm-hmm. given to him, you have to fan that into flame. Mm-hmm. Like we can receive gifts, but it's up to our up, us to cultivate and to kind of grow those gifts yeah. in a sense. And that's what he's being reminded here. And I do. think Timothy, you know, it, it would seem from the letters tends to be erring on the side of quieter and more timid. And Paul's yeah. really trying to go, no, no. Trust what you've been given. Speak with authority. Go forward yeah. with authority. Um, yeah. And and you know that's what he talks about here. We're not given a, a spirit of fear, but of power and love mm. and self control. So he's really trying to encourage Timothy to to move forward with determination. Really, yeah, that's right. And he you know he rem- he just reminds him, don't be ashamed of this testimony. Mm. Uh, don't be discouraged by the fact that there's opposition and even suffering involved in this, yep. because this is the pattern of Jesus. We're, mm. we're as Christians, in a sense, we're reliving the life of Jesus over and over again. And uh, but he just encourages him: this is a holy calling. You're part of a purpose. There's a strong emphasis throughout the um, letters of Paul, and here again, you see this picked up. You are part of the a purpose of God, which has been foreordained beforehand, right? Yep. You're, you're you're walking in a path that's been pre-made. Mm. Um, that's a big theme uh, in Paul and Timothy's being uh, reminded of this. So here we have, you know, in chapter 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted you, right? Yeah. There's this sense of I'm uh, something has been entrusted to you. You've got to guard that and you're going to hold it on, uh, hold on to that for the next generation. You know, th- there's an element of discouragement here, but He's just trying to say yeah. how it is. and so He's that, saying how it is. Yeah. yeah. In fact, he's, he's encouraging Timothy not to be discouraged by the fact that people drop away. There is opposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he says in verse uh, 15, 15, you're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, uh, among whom he names a couple of people. You know, that's... Yeah. That's pretty. It's this stage in in Paul's ministry uh, that's potentially pretty discouraging yes. stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's reminding Timothy, this is hard going. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not for the faint hearted, and we need supernatural strength to, to get through this. But it's also God's mission, and as much as we do what we need to do, it isn't dependent on us. Yeah. It's dependent on God's Holy Spirit working through us, and so that yeah. real encouragement to keep leaning into the the Spirit that he's been given, uh, as you said before, with Paul's laying on hands and the gift that he's been given to, yeah. to take the leadership of the church, particularly in Ephesus at this point in time. Yeah, no, that's right. Here again, you have in the start of chapter, chapter two, two. Uh, entrust to fa- like what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. This is, for me, personally as a as as a minister and particularly as a preacher it's a reminder that i am a link in a chain multi-generational chain and you know i'm responsible for passing on something that's p- been passed on oh, to me it's yes. not you know it's not for me you know to, to change that up or i mean i'm you know I, I often say i'm quite committed not not to teaching anything new you know it's yeah. really, i mean obviously there's an element of creativity in how you communicate that you and and each in each generation we have to respond to the different um, context and so mm. forth and apply the gospel afresh in different ways but the message remains the same, and I think that's a really important part of the mandate of yeah. being a minister of the, of the gospel is not trying to change it so it maybe works better or mm. or uh, that that is changing the essential message. And mm. and so there's always that in that sense, I I find myself feeling accountable to two thousand years of Christian history. I'm accountable as in this generation for passing that on to the next generation. Yes. So yeah. it's really absolutely. I find that you know that theme very very sobering. It's interesting the the metaphors that he uses uh, here in in chapter two. Uh, you know, there's the soldier metaphor. I mean, this underscores again the nature of the Christian life. This isn't just because Timothy is something extraordinary, because he's a pastor and other people are not. Paul is is reminding Timothy of the essentials of the Christian life, that mm. we're actually involved, as he says previously, in a holy where all of us are called to a holy calling. And a holy calling means, the word holy means it's set apart, right? It's completely different. Holiness speaks to absolute otherness, right? Yeah. And so uh, that's in 
1 verse 9, he speaks about being called to a holy uh, calling. And then he uses these metaphors in, you know, in chapter 2. He says, chapter 2, verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You know, yeah. there's that that sense where we're, we're part of a purpose and that purpose has means that you know, we're different yeah. in that sense. We're, yep. we're, we live with a mission. Uh, and the distraction of other things going yeah, on that's around right. us shouldn't draw us away from the primary purpose. Yeah, yeah, he uses the athlete. Then he goes on to the athlete metaphor. Athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, right? So we're like, we're not just wandering aimlessly through life. We're like athletes running a set course, right? Yes. And, and with a goal uh, in mind. That's, that's his second metaphor. Yeah. And his third metaphor is the farming metaphor. You know, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have first share of the crops. So he's, he's again, reminding us that we, there's something to look after here, right? When we're not just aimlessly wandering through life. And we're not making it up as we go. You know, the, no, that's the right. metaphor around the athlete is there's a particular course, as you said, exactly, to run. Yeah. We can't just make it up as we go along. Yeah. No, we stick to the course. Yeah. yeah. And and that's right. And it's it's that there's that sense of this is this is a preordained Path. uh, pathway. You know, yeah. we walk uh, in the works that have been prepared beforehand, as he says elsewhere, you know, to, to walk in those works that have been prepared beforehand mm. uh, for us. So, you know, as I said, there is this theme of d- divine sovereignty. And in, in uh, 1 verse 9, for example, just going back, uh, he says here, when he says about, you know, saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the yeah, ages began, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a you know, all been worked out before. And then in 2 verse 10, he says, uh, therefore, Uh, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. So there's, again, there's this sense that God has, you know, God has set out this pathway and even the very people that he's, he's to come across those divine encounters and, uh, there's a wonderful sense of security that Paul has in that divine purpose. He's he's not trying to work out the paradox of it. He's not sitting around uh, trying to, you know, work out how all this can work. In fact, he warns against that kind of speculative, that kind of speculative thinking, Mm. you know, like, oh, how does this divine sovereignty, you know, go alongside free will? And no, I mean, he asserts both things, you know, we're, you know, he pleads with people that we need to make a decision and, 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 you know, our decisions, you know, carry incredible weight. And yet Mm. at the same time, he asserts divine sovereignty. And for him, you know, it's a comfort because he's walking in this path that's been, you know, yeah. preordained in that yeah. sense. And I think he's also talking about the fact that he endure. You know, he says there, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, as you say, for the, yeah. for the sake of those that God's calling in. Uh, and I think he's saying that to Timothy because he knows Timothy's going to face challenges and, and potentially suffering as well. And he's trying to yeah. say, don't expect it to be fair weather sailing. You know, it's going to be, there's going to be, yeah. there's going to be challenges. And it's important to, to recognize that it, we need to endure whatever yeah. it is that God calls us to yeah. endure so that we can reach the lost. Yeah, no, that's good. Speaking of kind of irrelevant controversies and speculative thinking and in it, the second half of chapter two, he focuses on this. And this is a bit of a – we saw this in First uh, Timothy as well because he, he's aware that Timothy could get just locked up in endless speculative discussions, mm. theological discussions. Mm. And – what Paul wants to say to Timothy is that is not becoming of someone who's on mission, who's that is not becoming of a Christian leader to get drawn into endless controversies and uh, certainly not to be feeding those. Yeah. And just before you get you, so you're sort of working into verse 14 there. Yeah. I just, I just really wanted to quickly just touch on the, the last little bit there, uh, verse 12 and yeah. 13, 11, yeah. 12 and 13. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful, Yeah, for he cannot deny himself. And I think that's such a powerful thing, even though we might feel we let God down so many times. Yeah. He's never going to be not there for us. Yeah, that's you know? right. Yeah. So that, that right there is... Is that very paradox? Yes. It's if we deny him, he will deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. faithful. You know, yeah. so so there's this sense that we must not deny. We, we our choices matter, right? Yes. It's it's important that we hold on to this faith, and yet even if we don't, God's still uh, going to be there for us. He's yeah. still going to be faithful to, uh, us. to us. So it seems contradictory yeah. that yeah. saying, but this is classic. 
um, sort of Pauline theology is happy to hold on to this the tension that, that tension, mm. and and it's a tension which ultimately rests back in the sovereignty of God. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think it's mm. you know it's on that. I mean, I, I and I think uh, you know I'm conscious of just so many speculative conversations, particularly about that theme. I mean, it's what where it's yeah. kind of them- thematically you know relevant relevant in this sense because. Once you get onto these themes, we, we tend to want to penetrate into them and understand how could that be and how this goes with that. And we try and construct a kind of system, speculative system of, you know, of reality. And I mean, theology can't be a closed system because you're dealing with the ways of God. So it can't be a closed logical system. Yeah. It's not going to always seem logically coherent uh, because you, you're dealing with God who's mm-hmm. outside space, space-time logic and yeah. whose ways are infinitely above our ways and so forth. And so that, that's where it, it becomes quite fruitless to try to connect everything together logically and come up or try to come up with theories that connect everything, uh, you know, logically. Uh, that's, you know, a general example of the kind of thing that I think he's talking about when uh, he says in verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handing the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, uh, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. This is against the backdrop, actually, Stu, of, of... a lot of people at this particular point, uh, it was quite current. You have lots of people sitting around, particularly in the marketplaces, and having these endless speculative conversations. Whether it's the Greeks, mm. you know, talking about philosophy, or it's, uh, you know, the the rabbinic students, you know, dividing the law and uh, uh, you know arguing over every jot and tittle of the law, and pulling it all apart. And it's endless sort of speculation discussions. Nothing ever gets done, yeah. you know, because just endless talk and endless theorizing. Mm. And and unfortunately, I think. Our faith can become like that. Like we just sit and we talk about it and we hear sermons and we argue theology and it's all about, well, you you take that position and I take this position yeah. and we you know, we call that, you know, maintaining the faith and and it just becomes endless babbling over words and arguing over words when we've actually got a mission here to get yes. on with. Yeah, that's right. And we just need to get about it, you know, and um and sometimes we just need to let some of these things be mysterious yeah. and it does doesn't matter. That's right. And, you know, understand the essentials and what, you know, what we need to know without having to try to, you yeah. know, pull it to bits and put it back together Sometimes again in a logical just way. To, just to ask ourselves the question, what difference does knowing the answer to that make to the way I live my life tomorrow? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He then names a couple of people kind of a bit personally. He there. does, which is interesting, mm. isn't it? He's, and again, this is a letter to a leader. So he's yeah. trying to, you know, he is trying to speak directly into a situation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's right. He's speaking, uh, he's speaking to, um, you know, to Timothy. There's a very interesting uh, couple of verses, uh, Stu, in um, 2 verse uh, 20 and 21. And and I just, I just want to highlight this for a second because this is indicative of a way of thinking that's very countercultural now uh, in our mm. age. I, I've often said that in our age is characterized by a very flat way of thinking where, you know, in our, and we've talked a lot about this in uh, our other podcast, uh, Thrive Perspectives. Uh, Perspectives mm. And I encourage listeners to, to go uh, and listen to that uh, if they haven't. But, you know, we, we've, we've described the kind of one way of describing the Christian worldview is on this double axis, you know, where you're not just got the plain pain to pleasure axis, which most people live on that. You know, we tr- live to avoid what's unpleasant, and painful, yeah. and and seek pleasure and so forth. But there's this whole other a- access to reality, which runs from you know the sacred uh, down to to the profane, and um, and and that's that's a whole other aspect of reality mm-hmm. that. That once you admit to transcendence, once you admit to the existence of God, then there's this this kind of hierarchy, in a sense, that some things matter more than others. Yes. You, you 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 suddenly you can have values. I mean, without without some transcendent 
um, viewpoint uh, or standard. You know, everything is just all the same in, yeah. in one sense. And, yep. and you know, things are differentiated only by whether it's good, you know, pleasurable or healthy or, or, or not. Which know. is determined by you personally. Yeah, yeah, which is determined by us. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And, but, you know, once you add in that other, you know, dimension, there's this new hierarchy about what really matters the most. And some things are set apart for a special purpose. And that's the sacred profane mm. uh, axis, which is a very, very foreign to our yeah. our way of thinking, and uh, uh, Jonathan Haidt in his um, in his book The Happiness Hypothesis argues that this vertical axis is a really important ingredient actually in human well being that we in our culture have neglected. You know, um, anyway, so. Uh, Paul says here, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy. Now, we could we could uh, supplement the word sacred there as well. So yes. It's the same, yep. same idea, set apart as holy or sacred, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So he's saying that's that's us. We're not just like the other animals. We, we don't just live hand to mouth, just, you know, satisfying our immediate desires. We we actually have a have a higher calling. Uh, you know, when we're not we're not ordinary. Yes. Um, there's an extraordinary calling that we have. So that that framework is what really makes sense of all the whole body of Christian value, values and ethics, particularly in you know, our Christian uh, approach to ethics, is based on the fact that we are holy, we are sacred, and if something is sacred, you can't just do whatever you want with it. Yeah, it's in the very nature of it because it's set apart for certain uh, higher use. Use. It's just interesting how clearly he, he, he spells, spells that out there. Out there um, uh, that that idea. He says at the end of the chapter, you know, uh, to Timothy, he's a young guy, yeah. you know, and this is, this is, you know, a young guy in a Greek society who's expected to, you know, go and, and party, um, not much different probably from our, our context. And, <laughs> yes. you know, but Paul is saying, well, actually you've chosen a different course yeah. here yeah. and flowing straight out of that illustration about being set, set apart, apart. Yeah. Uh, for holy use. He says, and the, in verse 22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, uh, and peace. And then again, he says in verse 23, it's interesting the, the, how he repeats this, yeah. have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, right? Paul knows that if all we do is just sit around quarreling over things, we're never going to get anywhere. No, that's right. right. So he says, just avoid that. Uh, And he says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. That's good advice. And with the understanding that God may well, they may well come to a place of repentance and God may well choose to justify them, obviously, and make them honourable as well. And so we've got to treat everyone, regardless of where they're standing, as as sacred in God's sight. Yeah, that's Um, right. And notice here too, it's not as though the truth doesn't matter. Mm. He's not saying it doesn't matter what anyone believes. Don't get get drawn into, you know, into discussions about what's true or not. No, he's just saying that there are certain things that are just going to go round and round and round in circles that you're never going to resolve. Mm. Uh, Just endless theoretical controversies. Just, Mm. you know, try to transcend that and i think important to remember too at this time this is very early in the in the christian faith uh they, we d- they don't have the luxury of all the theology and doctrine mm, and that's teaching right, that's yeah. gone on so they're trying to figure out to some degree how this works and paul's got to swing almost the other way and go don't get bogged down in that yeah, that's stuff. right lots of false teachers you know who are teaching alternative kind of yeah uh, doctrines you know hybrid whatever it might be, and he's just trying to deal with all of that yeah, that's um, right. in this letter. Yeah. Which, again, re- reminding listeners, you know, this is probably Paul's last letter to who he sees as one of the key future leaders yeah, that's of the right. church going forward. Yeah. 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 In the face of potential discouragement about, uh, you know, people falling away and, and – uh, and you know, in the state, in, even at, at times of uh, of people in the church, and maybe people that have let them down or have fallen back into worldly ways, mm. Paul reminds him: Look, this was always going to be the case. Yeah. Uh, you know, he says in in the beginning of chapter three, understand this: that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of money, uh, will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, harlot. So, and he gives this enormous long list. He's saying, now, don't be 
don't be discouraged when you when you encounter these things. Mm. This is the context in which we do ministry. This is, in other words, he's saying this is the darkness that is the context for the light to shine. So don't let the darkness of the world discourage you or even even the apostasy that you see amongst people uh, who are you know, who are Christians, don't let that dis- discourage you when you see people falling away. This is bound to happen. It was yeah. always going to happen. Again, it's the context, it's the dark context against which the light shines. And I, I think that's really important advice for today because I think, you know, we can feel like, you know, we, we have to try and create a, you know, some kind of moral context, or it's almost like we need to get back to sort of Victorian England, you know, where where there's this kind of surface level morality that everyone subscribes to. It all looks good on the surface. It all looks yeah. good on the surface and there mm. are Christian laws and, mm. and I mean, not that there's anything wrong with Christian laws, but, yeah. you know, but they just also had this effect of keeping all of the vice mm. under, you know, under the, this veneer of social etiquette. Mm. And, you know, we can then look at, the context in which we live in and, and lose hope and think, oh man, it's so discouraging. And uh, but no, it was always going to be that way. This yeah. is this is the context uh, for the gospel. Actually, this yeah. is you know, as I've often said, the light shines brightest in the darkness. And and Paul's reminding Timothy of that. And I think another thing you say connected to that uh, is also as the light gets brighter, the shadows get longer, yeah, yeah. which means it just highlights these things. Yeah, more. that's right. Yeah, you know, brings brings, brings things to the, the surface. surface. Yeah. It's interesting. He says here uh, that among avoid. He's saying avoid uh, such mm. uh, such people. He's not saying actually don't. He's not saying that we should lock ourselves off into a little enclave, Christian enclave, because there's very much the imperative here to reach out and uh, and not to judge uh, people. When he says uh, avoid such people, he's essentially saying to Timothy, don't join them. Don't join with them. Yeah. Uh, you're living a different kind of life. Yeah, and again, this is a leadership letter to a leader. Yeah, that's about right. People that you know he should have around him in a sense. Yeah, uh, and be around. So yeah, yeah. And in fact, he says, "For among them are those who creep into households and mm. capture uh, weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the truth." I and mean, it's interesting. This, this, we talked about this in the last letter. The problem of these false teachers coming in yeah. and and misleading uh, these prominent women in the church who had you know quite a, a lot of mm. uh, authority, quite validly uh, in in the church. Uh, but were perhaps overreaching in their authority and and uh, and because of their relative lack of education, things were yeah. going yeah. Uh, awry here. And, you know, burdened with sins, essentially it sounds like these women were keen to want to find the truth, but they were constantly being deceived by all these different arguments and people coming and presenting different yeah. things to them. They just really didn't know what the truth was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Verse eight, just as Janus and Jambres yeah. oppose Moses, so uh, these men also oppose the truth. They're like, and Janus and Jambres in in um, the rabbinic tradition, these are the names given to the um, magicians, the magicians that oppose Moses. Mm-hmm. You know, that threw down the staff, and it, you know, it's, this mm-hmm. is uh, this is his uh, his biblical uh, allusion. In in verse uh, ten, we have Paul's model uh, of, of endurance under under persecution, like he. Uh, he is the model. He sort of presents himself. Look, follow my example here. This is a powerful thing that Paul can pass on, is that he can pass on not just teaching, yeah. but an example. Yes. Uh, and that is something that 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 is going to carry you know, a lot of weight. And He's, I think, again, yeah. that's a challenge oh. uh, as a Christian leader that we pass on not just right teaching, but a good example. Mm. And he's lived scripture out. You yeah, know, that's that, right. That's the point. And he talks about the fact that even even though he's done all of that, he's still suffered the persecutions and the sufferings that come yeah. uh, to him, but he's endured them all. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, said the Lord's rescued him from, from those things, which we, yeah. we saw a number of times for Paul. Uh, but again, now he's in... In prison, his trial's coming up, he's expecting the execution is imminent, and so he's, again, just really trying to say to Timothy, all of Scripture, you know, in this passage anyway, there's a great Scripture, all of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So really just saying Isn't that great? Points him back to the Word. Yeah, correct. That's the foundation, absolute foundation. So he charges him in, in chapter four, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is judge of the living and dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, you know, preach the word. 
be ready in season and out of season, uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience uh, and teaching. This is the seed. You know, Paul knows that this is yeah. This is the truth, and and the most important thing in Paul knows in the churches is that there's got to be this focus, this groundedness in Scripture, according to what he's just said, and this willingness to keep expounding the Scriptures, to keep coming back and keep yeah. uh, preaching the truth. And it's interesting through history where where you see you know the Christian movement flourish is where you see really Bible based you know, faithful teaching and mm. preaching, you know, I mean, that's, it's not just, it's not like, you know, that just a good sermon is that, but yeah, but it's a key element, you know, you, I mean, and you can see in scripture that wherever you have a revival of, you know, of, of really passionate spirit driven biblical teaching really is the core mm. of a healthy church. Mm. But mm. whenever the church goes off into, you know, other, you know, other things or downplays that or moves away, uh, you know, from uh, biblical doctrine uh, or waters it down or compromises it. It just doesn't work anymore. It's interesting, actually, the, the historian, non-Christian, interestingly, historian and sociologist Rodney Stark, he, he recognizes that as a pattern in history. Yeah. You know, he says that, uh, you know, particularly since the Enlightenment, you know, there have been leaders who wanted to just play down aspects of biblical doctrine because they wanted to modernize, you know, and, and so they've compromised on various, you know, teachings. And um, and it, it's not that we, we shouldn't allow uh, the challenges that come upon us to, you know, for us to go back to scripture and to study scripture more deeply and to make sure that is what it's saying yes. and so forth. Yeah. And and his example is, you know, the liberalization of, of Christianity, you know, it's it's the ain't necessarily so, and it's all just, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of throwing the key doctrines out the window and coming up with a kind of worldly, you know, faith that's sort of palatable, palatable to the world mm-hmm. uh, or to the spirit of the age. And, you know, Stark makes the observation that those churches invariably die don't out. Survive. Yeah, they yeah. don't, they die out. They, and those yeah. movements die out. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, th- there was a, a book that I read many years ago. I think it's called Battle for the Bible. It was, and and even then the the writer, uh, Harold Linzel, I think was the, the author, pointed out, and, and this is, you know, generations after a lot of people that he knew had gone, you know, a lot of churches had turned to a more liberal kind of sort of throwing out the, throwing out the Bible kind of approach. Yeah. The churches, he said, they're all they've all died out. Yeah, you know, it's because what's the point anymore? Yes, exactly. You know? uh, and so, you know, I think this again here, this preach the word, right? You, yeah. This has got to be. This is the foundation, as, as he says elsewhere. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles mm. and the prophets. Mm. So important. Bef- before you move on, then let me ask you a question. Yep. What was the word back in those days for them? Because we're we're you know reading all these letters from yeah. Paul, and we've got large chunks of the you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Big chunks of the New Testament. Yeah, what was he referring to when he talked about all Scripture? Yeah, the Word. So he's referring to what we now know as the Old Testament, Testament mm-hmm. but particularly as the Old Testament interpreted through the lens of the Gospel of Christ. Right. So, so it's it's the Old Testament and the apostolic tradition, and and so Paul's already very conscious of the fact that what he's passing on is prophetic in this sense. It is, and this is why he keeps emphasizing what I'm passing on to. In fact, the letters that we have, yeah. this is why he wrote these letters. He puts it in writing so that, you know, he's putting in words what this this gospel actually is and and how the the Old Testament is interpreted through this gospel and what difference that makes and, and, and so forth. So, this is why the only sort of theology is a biblical theology. You know, yes. it, it's yeah. uh, it's it's a theology that's based in, uh, you know, we 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 just keep going back to the Bible. Theology is essentially taking themes. What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about God? About Jesus? About mm. the the plight of humanity? About you know the future and so forth? And we put that together, and that's where you get theology. Mm. Uh, it's the teaching of the whole Bible, including the Gospels and the Epistles, and so. Paul, I think, is very conscious of, of that, you know, and so he's saying, uh, "Hold on to what I'm passing on to you now. This needs to, this needs to be because this on has been revealed you. to him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, by yeah, God, exactly through Christ. Yeah, and and he knows that that's going to be the key to the preservation of the movement. Like yeah. Paul knows this, right? Yeah. He knows that if we lose touch with this, the the movement is going to dissipate. Yeah. 
uh, but if we hold on to this, it will continue. And history has shown that it does dissipate when when this we lose when it when it just focuses on ceremonies when it just becomes you know a matter of you know empty religious ceremony yeah. as it did in in the Middle Ages. Uh, you know the the Reformation was a return to scripture and to to biblical preaching and uh, and you know th- th- this this becomes a key actually to the to the continuance uh, oh, of this movement. Paul knows this. And, you know, what he's said has is, is been borne out very much uh, by yeah. history. Yeah. Um, so verse 6, chapter 4, is a fairly well-known uh, passage, I think, uh, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure has come. This is Paul speaking to the imminent uh, expectation of his, his execution, obviously, after his trial. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. So again, there's the soldier mm. and the uh, yeah. and the athlete. Yeah. Um, I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Uh, it's one of the most moving passages uh, in the New Testament that, you know, that is th- those, you know, I like to think of those as Paul's last words. words. That's his, yeah. that's the epitaph uh, over his life. And it's just so beautiful. In fact, I loved it so much. I put it into a, uh, into a, a song on, uh, on a Sons of Korah album. It's just a beautiful. Yeah. Um, beautiful and it really expression. is probably his last words because the, the last bit are really just personal instructions at the end of closing a letter out yeah. really to, to Timothy around specific specific issues yeah. uh, or, or specific things he needs him to do uh, so that, you know, as you say, those are probably really uh, Paul's last words from a theological yeah, yeah, teaching that's right. perspective. Yeah, yeah you know? that's right. No, that's great. Well, let's let's leap over into into Titus. Titus uh, is is a short letter, so we won't spend uh, a lot on this. But give us a little bit of background, uh, Stu. Okay, so so Titus is a leader in the church in Crete. It's a pastoral letter written to Titus around again leadership, encouragement, and wisdom. Uh, he was enduring fairly significant ongoing opposition, um, both from those who were kind of you know, uh, trying to water it down, but also from the legalists who were, mm. you know, the Jewish legalists who were trying to say, no, no, we've still got to, uh, we've still got to abide by all of these rituals and, and regulations. Yeah. Uh, and so um, Paul was writing to Titus to talk to him about getting established good leaders, elders of the church, and really how to structure the church and to talk about how we should behave as believers um, uh, to both within the church, our interactions with others who are who are within the church or Christians, mm. but also with non-believers as well, uh, how we should be seen by them uh, yeah. to be a good witness, uh, to be a good witness to Christ. Yeah. yeah, he talks about the qualifications of elders. Yeah, so notice, notice, you know, interesting because I mean, and he is repeating a lot of themes that he's written to yeah. uh, to Timothy, and that's that's understandable because the same, you know, similar sort of context, similar kind of issues, and so you do get some repetition. But notice the key elements here. First is the qualifications for elders. Mm. Good godly leaders are the key uh, to a healthy healthy church. Uh, that is. So, so true. Yes. You know, I, I honestly, as in all of my experience, uh, godly leadership, uh, you know, is, is, has always been the key, uh, to, to really healthy churches and, but where leaders squabble and fight and get drawn into, you know, as he says, endless controversies and squabbling and, and, uh, or, or if it's opportunistic or if it's a bit controlling or, or that just, totally destroy can destroy you know churches but when you've got a godly praying eldership that are mission focused and who love God and love their people it is just a powerful thing yeah. uh, for a church and so uh, this is where why there's such emphasis in these letters on raising up you know this this godly elder having people uh, of character in in leadership Yep. Uh, then there's this emphasis on sound doctrine. There's the other thing. So good leadership, right? Good godly leadership. Then sound doctrine uh, is is the next one. Which um, is coming back to the yep. word, not trying to figure it out on ourselves on our own and and make our, our own path, but actually to come back and to really understand what the word is saying. Yeah, that's right. He talks about how different people are conducting. Uh, you know, to uh, conduct themselves. You know, older men are to be sober-minded, mm. dignified, self-controlled, and uh, older women likewise are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanders. You know, because the the mission depends on everyone. It's, yes. it's no it's it's no use just having godly elders. You know, the church is to mirror and reflect the image of Christ. Yes. You know, and so he says. Uh, so verse five. You know, when he's uh, talking about 
uh, older women, you know, being self-controlled, pure, you know, uh, he says that the word of God may not be reviled, right? That's the, yeah. that's the reason that the word of God may not be reviled. There's, Speaking to witnesses. That's well right. There, you, you, know. You, you, you know, we're standing before witnesses. We, we're on mission and, and we're being observed. And, you know, it's interesting. I mean, even just lately, you know, just hearing an example of someone that had a bad experience with a Christian and, you know, just an individual, someone, you know, just a normal everyday Christian, but who was professing to be a Christian and yet not acting accordingly. And that just destroyed, it just had this destructive influence yeah. on how that person Perceived saw the Christian, Christian faith. faith. Yeah. You know, it can, it really can do a lot of damage. Mm. And yet, on the other hand, even more powerful is the opposite. When people feel that they're being treated as sacred, right? Yes. They're being loved and and yeah. and valued, and and that can have an enormous uh, impact totally. as well. So you know, um, it's there's there's not really much in between. No, it's really all about that uh, that witness, isn't it? Yeah. And then he goes on to say something which you know is is pretty strong as well, given the time where perhaps a lot of the church were trying to kind of not rebel, but, you know, ignore authority and not be submissive. Yeah. To, you know, he really makes the point, no, no, we we even need to be submissive to the rules and authorities that are put in place. We need to be be obedient yeah. to the laws of the land. And because, again, that's a good witness uh, yeah. that, we are, that we are being obedient. Uh, obviously, not to the point where that requires us to deny Christ, but certainly to the point where the laws Yeah, we don't to want to pick fights. That's I mean, right. you know, we're not here to pick a fight. Yeah. We're, you know, we're here to be a witness mm -hmm. and, and yes, that does mean witnessing uh, to the truth, but not in a way that is belligerent and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and wanting to just get, uh, you know, wanting, being combative in, in, in this sense. And certainly, you know, they're not trying to start a political revolution, no, that's and, right. you know, like, and that's of course in movements like this, particularly as it grew, what tends there, to there was, yeah. you know, there was always this concern that it was going to become uh, another power movement, you know. Uh, another mo movement or group of people grabbing for power. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't grab for worldly power. We don't need worldly power. No. Uh, in fact, worldly powers had the reverse effects, had a you know detrimental effect uh, in, in the church. Not always. Sometimes yeah. it's, it's a lot of good has been done yeah. uh, through it. But um, but we you in, know in some ways Paul's yeah. trying to say, hey, it's not that we're right and everyone else is wrong. It's like we're all wrong, but by the grace of God, we've been made right. Yeah, that's right. You exactly. And, and essentially, that's how we need to look at everyone out there. Yeah. Uh, not just those within the church. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that those are the main elements of that mm -hmm. uh, letter to Titus, and you know, again, yeah, as you said, just at, in that in chapter three, that's where he just reins them in. Just be, yep. you still need to be submissive to authorities because, yes, Jesus is our Lord. Th this is the confusion because mm -hmm. they're acknowledging Jesus as Lord, whereas before it was Caesar as Lord. Yes. That's the yep. you know, they're acknowledging uh, you know Christ, but that doesn't mean that they can ignore the the worldly rulers. Mm. So, you know, that's uh, important, important just to say, witness. too, that that letter was probably written at a completely different time to 2 Timothy. So yeah. even though it's, yeah. you know, the following book in the Bible, and again, Philemon as well, both were probably written at a time when Paul wasn't in prison. Yeah. Um, you know, so these are not in chronological order here. So just yeah. if you're wondering, hang on, where does this letter sit? Yes, Timothy was, the second Timothy was probably the last letter Paul wrote. These are letters that have been written to at, at another time, probably in between his two imprisons, imprisonments, yeah. most likely. So. Yeah, let's move into five minutes. Yep. Th this is very short letter, but it's this is a in, very interesting letter because it deals with the issue of slavery, and well, it's, it's written it's, to one person. Yeah, and it's written to one person. That's mm. right. We, we've got this is this cluster of letters that are all written to to one person. Mm. Philemon is obviously he's a kind of wealthier in a householder. He's a Christian. Uh, he has this slave. The slave has run away and joined Paul, mm. uh, and and come to faith. Uh, in Paul's ministry, yeah, he didn't run away to join Paul. Just to be clear, yeah, yeah, yeah he probably yeah. stole from from Philemon, yeah, and and then decided to take off. But and somewhere in his journey, he's met that's Paul, right, yeah, become yeah. a become that's a believer, right. and now a state yeah, to yeah, serve that's Paul. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, he's been a great support yeah, to Paul, and Paul actually wants to wants to keep him and wants to allow uh, Anesimus is the is the slave. He wants to allow Anesimus to continue to serve with him, mm -hmm. but he you know he's also aware that he needs to. He needs to work this out with Philemon. So, so notice there, he's still respecting the status quo, even though the whole slave thing and that one human being can essentially own another is essentially wrong. Yes. You know, Paul still wants to respect something there. You know what I mean? He, he doesn't want to, 
because he because he knows particularly for Christians that that the gospel has this leveling effect that in a sense it'll explode from the inside and eventually it does actually slavery was banned twice uh, I mean we you know we think of the famous banning of slavery in the early 1800s under Wilberforce uh, but there was an early, in, in in the middle ages um, and it was largely to do it, it well it was pretty much uh, it was Christians that led that too mm. uh, because it was the implication of the equality under, you know, that yeah. essentially everyone being equal around the Lord's table uh, was associated particularly with the Lord's Supper. But he, here you've got this kind of revolutionary statement. It's kind of an inside-out kind of revolutionary yes. letter in a sense. It's not yes. saying, you know, it's, it's, it's not disbanding slavery. Of course, that would happen. Um, and that would happen through Christian influence, but here he's working on the inside. Let's let's as Christian brothers, let's demonstrate a different Correct. way of working, so that so where we we recognise the inherent dignity and the equality of value, yeah. and even people looking in from the outside who aren't believers will see yes, that we're that still honoured. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, that, exactly. The expectation here. That's right. So so conceivably, like a slave could still serve in the household of his master. Uh, and so it's it's not upending the system in that sense, and yet the master treats the slave like a brother, brother. and the and the slave respects you know the uh, you know the master as mm. as a master, but they're they're also Christian brothers, and yeah. there's that acknowledgement of equal dignity and so forth. That that would be a f- far more powerful demonstration, yes. you know, than than because there had been slave revolts and there had yeah. you know uh, in 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 Rome and. And a slave running away was a pretty serious thing yeah. in that in this day and age. Yeah. You know, um, if it wasn't punishable by uh, death, it was certainly you know uh, a very serious kind of crime. Yeah, it, it, the, the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, in his one of his major works called Paul and the Faithfulness of God, it's an enormous work on uh, on Paul and the theology of, and history of Paul. He begins that book with an investigation of this letter. He begins with Philemon as, oh, wow. as an example of how revolutionary this movement uh, actually was uh, for its day. Mm. And this is this is you know when people quip about you know that slavery is in, is endorsed in the Bible, it's really ignorant because actually what is so and you know there's, we've got a whole letter in the New Testament that that deals with this, but it's it, it's the nature. Of this, it's a different kind of revolution. It's not. Yeah. It's it's not the kind of revolution that that had had actually been seen in the ancient world in slave revolts and so forth. No, no, this is something different, and this is something that actually is going to change things. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So yeah. And Paul's and Paul's. I mean, we we don't need to read the the book through necessarily unless you've got mm, particular no. things. But the big the big rocks here are, are Paul acknowledges that Onesimus has you know done the wrong thing. Yeah. He recognizes that he's he's stolen from from Philemon. On him, and he says, "Look, if he owes you anything, let it be my debt. You know, yeah, I'll pay right. back." So I'm not, I'm not saying you should forgive that. I'm saying put yeah. it onto my account. Yeah. Uh, and he, but he's also saying, much as I want to keep him here with me to help me, I'm going to do the right thing and send him back to you because he yeah. actually is your slave, not not mine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but on top of that, he says, "But I'm not making you accept him back. I'm hoping that you will, and I'm praying yeah. that, but I'm not." I'm not yeah. ordering you to do that. Yeah, that's right. And so he's giving everyone in this the opportunity to demonstrate yeah, Christ's yeah. grace in yeah. every direction here. And what a witness that would be for those looking on from the outside to see this happen. It's like, oh, the slave came back and his owner's forgiven him and someone else has paid his debt and, yeah. uh, you know, incredible witness. It's interesting. He alludes in verse 15 to uh, a mosaic law where uh, a, because in the under the mosaic law there was this there were terms on so essentially the mosaic law it it's while it seems to endorse slavery it actually doesn't in the sense that because it it puts terms right it's like contract terms employment, you know what i mean employment contract. employment terms yeah. right yeah. and and even even uh you know stipulates how they're to be treated and all you know that they're accorded all these equal rights and everything mm. under, the, mm. under the mosaic law um but it also puts terms right but when you cut, when a slave got to the end of of this the 7 year term they could nominate to go back to their master for good. You know what I mean? They could right. either leave the household. Yep. But often, as you know, 
it was often the case that they became like part of the family and were loved and they loved the family. And, you know, let's not just think of the negative pictures. Yes. Of, you know, yeah, that's right. Uh, because if the people who did put the mosaic law into practice and acknowledge that equal dignity and uh, and so forth, they, these 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 servants were like family and they depended on their master for, you know, protection and sustenance. And so they had the option to, after their term, to make it permanent. And what they would do is that they would uh, do like an earring, like a clip, you know, oh, like right. pierce their ear. Yep. And, and that would be a sign, uh, like a covenant sign between them and the the master that they that they were sort of joined for life in that sense. And Paul alludes to that in verse fifteen. He says, "For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever." Yeah. And there's this idea that by coming back as a Christian and as Christian brothers, they're essentially locked into mutual service for life. Yes. That. That when we become Christians, we become each other's servants, and that's not just a term thing. We're you know we're we're uh, for life mm. uh, indebted through because of what Christ has done for us. Yeah, we're indebted then to serve each other uh, in the same way. So he says he was parted for you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant as a beloved brother. Mm. Right. So there yeah. is this uh, this mutuality to this. Um, it's, and then he even talks on both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, you know, physically, and perhaps even that's an allusion to the, the earring and the notice that he's committed to you for, yeah. for life. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he says in verse 17, uh, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Mm. Again, this is, remember, this is a highly... Uh, uh, hierarchical society, yeah. you know, yeah. with slaves at the bottom and and people like uh, Philemon at the top. Paul's just upturning this whole thing because, again, the gospel has this flattening effect. Why? Yeah. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So that puts us all, no one's entitled by birth to anything. Yes. You know what right. I mean? Un- under God. No one's entitled to anything. Mm. Uh, all have sinned and fall short. So we're all, but we all alike have received grace. And then God calls us into this family relationship where we're not freed from being slaves, but we're called to be slaves. And, and it, the, the word is a very strong word that Paul used when he talks about serving one another. You know, we're to be each other's slaves or bond, bond servants, servants because yeah. through Christ we're bound to one to another other. as mm. Christians. Oh, That's great. Powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah. yeah. And and this is, a, you know, I think it's easy in our day and age to lose a sense of how amazing and revolutionary this was mm. for its time. And we are part of a movement that is light in the darkness. Yeah. And we need to stand by this, as Paul says to Timothy, uh, as he often says, do not be ashamed, right? Don't be ashamed. It's so easy for us as Christians to kind of keep it quiet or feel it because it's a bit countercultural and and there's a lot of bad things that people are saying. There's a lot of opposition and we might not be liked. Or But Paul implores us through these letters, do not be ashamed of this message because it's light in the darkness. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. We really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading as we go through the Bible with Thrive. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper and thrive. Thrive.